Uh, hey folks, thanks for joining me on this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and any other tangent that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, you're sure to waste a few minutes listening to what I have to say, and I hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com, and I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream these recordings um, on Wednesday nights around 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, which if you're here, then obviously you know that already. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the same handle. Uh, I've also started posting to TikTok. I did that just a few minutes ago. I'm not really sure what that means. I think I'm a little too old for that platform, but we'll see what that's got to offer. I also have a website uh, and a very old school tradition. It is www.embellishpod.com. And that is also a place to pick up any of these links, episode details, and then even some one-off tasting notes. Uh, that is one of those things that I've sort of neglected here recently, but we're going to get back to those items. We may start with, um, you know, everybody seems to be doing the uh, top 10 or top 5 or top 6 whiskeys of 2021 that you were able to try. And so I guess maybe it's my turn to get in on that. So maybe I'll start doing those on TikTok, uh, sharing them wherever else I can. Today is January the 5th. This will be the first episode of the new year for me. Um, uh, if you didn't get a chance to see last week's episode, I encourage you to go back and watch it. It is a little long, but I had Cole and Robbie from Chill Filtered Podcast on. We did a live blind um, with the Eve's blind kit, the the last two uh, samples that were sent out to all of the um, subscribers to that particular kit. We had a you know, fantastic time. Those guys are always uh, super entertaining Um had a good time talking to them and found out some sort of interesting things about the two of them and how they uh, particularly taste whiskey. Today, we're going to be talking about whiskey ratings and competitions. Um, you know, part of that is just to try to help us and help inform us as consumers a little bit. Sorry, I had to clear my throat there a little bit better. Um, before we do that, we'll, you know, have a couple of conversations about things beforehand. And I was thinking about this, I was listening to, um, this is my bourbon podcast on the way to town to pick up some things from the grocery store. And they were talking about, you know, their top, you know, 20 whiskeys, top 10 whiskeys, top five whiskeys, whatever the, the accolades happen to be. And they were talking about, uh, at one point in time, they were just talking about just regular plain old old rare. Um, and you know, it was one of those things that I have a bottle of that on the shelf. It was probably my first four way foray into like exploring, single barrel whiskeys uh, that were store picks and trying to, you know, figure out what was great. Anytime somebody had a, an Eagle Rare store pick, I would go out and absolutely pick it up because they're fantastic. And if you have that opportunity, you do it. And I had a bottle on my shelf that I have not touched probably all year or even beyond that. I've been trying new things. So, you know, hey, it's time to go back and, and, and get on that. And so I went and picked that up. We just came off Christmas break. Between Christmas and New Year's, most of the people where I work um, take off. Not a whole lot of work gets done in that time frame anyways. So it was an opportunity to binge watch all the things. If you haven't, had, haven't had an opportunity to watch Hawkeye, uh, absolutely go do that. It was a fantastic series. It takes a character that, you know, I'm, I grew up on Spider-Man and Batman specifically. 
I'm not saying those are opposing universes, but um, if I were to find a single character in each one of those um, universes, that's that's who I would sort of attach to. And so the rest of the Marvel um, cast never really uh, was at the top of the top for me. Um, you know, I had a passing interest in a handful of other folks, but um, the Avengers series, television-wise, was you know great. Helped rekindle you know some of my. <laughs> Some of my interest in comic books, I've been buying them again after 30 years off or whatever. Um, but the Hawkeye series was um, was pretty good. It was pretty good for a character that I honestly felt was tertiary for most of the Avengers. And I understand the role that he plays in the, the, the canon, the storyline or whatever. Um, but uh, it was a really, really good series. Opportunity to go watch that if you can. And if you do and you want to talk about it, please hit me up because I need, I uh, said this one after I watched the, the Spider-Man movie before, you know, a couple podcasts ago, um, I need adults to talk to about these things. Most of the people that I work with are 20, 22 years old and they don't quite get it. They don't have the connection to the actual physical books that some of us had there. You know, they grew up on cartoons and on um, television slash movies. And so, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a different uh, geeky nerdiness to it. Um, Matrix is another big one that hit. Um, the new movie's out. If you are a Matrix fan, I think it's an absolute watch. I don't think it's great. Uh, I think it's significantly better than the third movie in the original trilogy. Um, this is good. It's everything that I wanted it to be. It's not fantastic, but it is. It's a fun watch. Cobra Kai came out. You know, it almost feels like there's some sort of a revival that's trying to happen here um, for people my age. Uh, I was talking to my friend Tim, and we were you know, talking about how, you know, it, it's interesting to see that they're remaking or making all of these things, kind of continuing them on. And I said, you know, our generation now has disposable income, and we're willing to spend our money on um, nostalgia, whereas maybe previous generations were not interested in that. They considered those things frivolous, and, and we have an attachment and investment to some of these things that maybe other folks have never had before. Um, so it only makes sense that they're starting to try to exploit those things with the Cobra Kai series. Um, you know, the it's, it's picking up more steam. Um, it feels like the first four seasons were effectively just recreating the first three karate kid movies, just in a new version. Uh, yes, Zachary Jones, I did watch the new Spider-Man and I have so, so many thoughts um, I'm going to hold those for probably another month or so. Give everyone who wants an opportunity to watch the movie an opportunity to watch the movie. But after that, all of the things come out. I have a I have a list. I actually have a note on my phone that I have saved that is all of all of the things. It's all of the questions, concerns, ideas that I have from it. Um, it's really good. I think it's really good. I think that there's a lot of, um, a lot of storyline that was built out here. A lot of future that was built out here, but I also have just so many questions, and they're like nerdy, geeky, ridiculous questions. Um, I I loved it so much that I hated it. It was way too neat and tidy in its ending, and I'm not giving anything away, I don't think. But it was just too clean, considering what they've done with the Marvel Universe. Um, it was quite possibly the cleanest way to reboot a series and give it a fresh start. You know, like there is a 
there's a blank slate here. Um, but there was, there was a lot of things there. So, you know, sort of in that nostalgia vein, Boba Fett's out on Disney. Get an opportunity to go watch that first episode was great. I have not watched the second episode yet because Monday rolled around and Monday meant going back to work. Haven't had a chance to watch it. Kids are still home. All of those wonderful things. Um, the first episode I think was great. Uh, I did see a clip of Patton Oswalt. There's a, a episode of Parks and Recreation where he's reading off fan fiction as a um, filibuster in a uh, city council meeting, if I remember correctly. And the scene he describes effectively describes the opening of Boba Fett. So um, I watched that and I was like, this sounds familiar. And then I came across it on the internet. It was like, this is, this is, this is very much what he described. And given how long ago that was, it's quite possible he was the one that did that. Um, and then Ted Lasso just got done watching Ted Lasso as well. I really didn't want to want, like that show. Um, I, a bunch of my coworkers were like, Oh, this is fantastic. This is a thing that everybody should watch. Uh, I went and watched it and I really did like it. Uh, Jason Sudeikis is hilarious. Anyways, uh, I didn't think that this would be the right kind of character for him because he's always got a little slap happy asshole in him. And that was not the case in this particular television show. He plays an incessantly upbeat character, but it gets, you know, way more reasonable and way more associable um, as, as the series kind of goes on. But that's, that's where we, I don't know. That's, that's sort of what I've done. Work rolled back around Monday morning. We began back. It's already been a crappy week um, and it's only Wednesday. But we'll get into the meat of what we're going to talk about today. And what I wanted to talk about um, is dealing specifically with whiskey ratings or whiskey suggestions. Um, how do you differentiate what anything means? And um, if you've been into whiskey for more than a couple of years, you've already experienced a situation where a new rating comes out or Jim Murray says something and now your Henry McKenna or your Buffalo Trace disappears off the shelf. Uh, or, you know, the San Francisco Spirits Competition announces, um, I, I think they were the ones that actually did the Henry McKenna thing, um, that it was like the whiskey of the year and then all of a sudden you can't find Henry McKenna tenure anymore uh, at a reasonable price anywhere. Um so they they create this 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 buzz and and whether it's good or not we don't I don't really know and I don't necessarily think I'm going to go into that um but sort of understanding how those lists are put together will help the average consumer when they're standing in front of the shelf understand does this rating does this number actually mean anything if it does mean something what does it mean and then for the rest of us, for the whiskey geeks who are standing in front of the shelf trying to figure out what the next thing that they're not going to be able to pick up that they actually want is, it's trying to stay ahead of those uh, trends. You know, whenever you see the um, Whiskey Advocate Top 20, maybe if the you know one of your favorite bottles is in the top 10, you should probably go out and buy two of them because you're not going to see them again for a while as people start latching onto those things. And if I were to kind of in an unbiased fashion, think about does the whiskey advocate, top, whiskey advocate top 20 mean anything as far as quality rankings? I'd say it's probably the least likely, but it's the most consumer friendly. 
but we'll actually start with tonight is Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible. Um, that's one that gets tossed around, tossed around pretty heavily. Uh, everybody sort of has an idea of who Jim Murray is. Um, you see, you know, the 2021 Bible, or the 2022 Bible, the, there's a new series that comes out every year. And there's probably not a single person that has tasted more whiskeys and rated more whiskeys as an individual than Jim Murray himself. But um, I think that therein lies the problem is that it is a single person's interpretation of what good whiskey is or is not. Um, that works. You know, that's that's sort of the entire impetus behind people who follow uh, whiskey tubers or whiskey social media folks that happen to pick barrels is that they can align themselves to someone that they find that has a similar palate to them. And whenever that person makes a recommendation or does a pick, they can feel comfortable that they're going to get something that they enjoy. But if your taste buds don't align with Jim Murray's taste buds, uh, then that single vision of what is good and what is not good may not be so great. But because he is a single person comparing himself against himself, um, maybe it's maybe the, the answer is a little more nuanced. He's not trying to argue with a group of people who are putting a rating together. It's his interpretation, and he can gauge it against another one. Um, but realistically, um, there's a phrase out there that the uh, comparison is a thief of joy. And I think whenever it goes to like rating a whiskey, the only way that you can do it effectively is just put it on a point scale and the points are the points and you can't compare it to another whiskey that's similar to it. Uh, any of those things, you either liked it or you didn't like it. And then as far as what it is, how does it, how does it rate up, you know, uh, over a point system, but Jim Murray, um, your taste buds align with Sean. So Zachary, does that mean you like, like typo negative, um, a positive, like what's the, I guess, what's your preferred blood type? If, if we were to really kind of put that into perspective, you know, there's a distinct flavor profile and I'm trying to think of what it was. There was the uh, television show on Cinemax or HBO or whatever. That was the vampires. Um, that was in Louisiana and they had a, a, a drink that you could go to the bar and order, and I can't remember the name of it now, but I wish I could because I would probably make that joke right now, and about seven people would get it. But hey, it makes you know it is what it is. Um, more recently, uh, Jim Murray has come under incredible scrutiny because of the way that he has described things um, using. Uh, AB positive. Okay, maybe that's what it is. Um, he's using terms like sexy, which you know I don't necessarily have a problem with, but um, there's been times where he's compared ha the drink to having sex with a woman, and that may be taking it too far. And so when you have a single person that's kind of putting out a book for interest, trying to make money, because at the end of the day, that's what Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible is, is his intent is to make money. Now he makes money by having a good book that is reliable year in and year out. And there's probably, I don't know, 20 years worth of the book that exists. But it's also um, a victim to whatever he decides to write in it. And, you know, there, there's going to be some criticism that exists there. Um, so, you know, that, uh, one of the drawbacks to any Jim Murray whiskey rating is that if you don't like what he likes, then his ratings probably don't mean anything to you. And it is potentially a myopic view 
beyond that, like if you were trying to figure out who you're more susceptible to um, some sort of uh, sway being put against a person when it's a single person's viewpoint, when it is an individual human being that is responsible for rating something, they could be swayed by a story, by a particular flavor, by a particular um, sentiment. You know, that's the part of the reason why we like these brown spirits so much is that they can create a sense of nostalgia. Um, the the one of my favorites for this year is the Peerless Double Oaked, and the Peerless Double Oaked to me came across like uh, Mexican hot chocolate, and I have a very specific triggering memory that makes that a super positive thing. But does that mean that it's that much better? No, it has a very nostalgic feeling for me, and that could impact my individual rating that you're never going to connect with. And so having a single person kind of be that um, that point of of information there's a flawed approach there but you know take it for what it's worth it's a fun read it's got some you know some good insight in there i would i would suspect that for a human being who's tasted i think i read somewhere somewhere over 4000 different whiskeys he's probably going to have a good idea of whether it is a fair representation of what it's trying to go after or not um and not so much what you know whether it's good or not uh, another really popular one one that i actually prefer probably over a lot of the rest of the spirits ratings is whiskey advocates top 20 um and one of the reasons i like that is that each year as whiskey advocate um is putting together a buying guide or their review or whatever they're collectively sampling hundreds of whiskeys throughout the year some are rare and extremely limited um, some are emerging labels um their top 20 this year there's a really solid blend of different things um, but they're not just a collection of the highest rated whiskeys, right? And so that's a thing that they're, you know, they do have a hundred point scale. They put that on there, but whenever they put together their top 20 at the end of the year, they're also looking at how possible it is for a reader to actually locate and purchase that at a reasonable value. So there's an addition of a uh, of to to the quality score. There is um, prioritization based off of availability and price, uh, which I think is useful to the to the consumer. That is something that is uh, for specifically for new consumers. It's a great place to to sort of enter and say, of these twenty, and you know, whiskey advocates top twenty is going to have a blend of bourbon and rye and scotch and world whiskeys and a host of other things. Um, I wish I had not removed it. Maybe I'll try to go find it and just kind of stream of conscious BS my way until I can find um, what it is I'm looking for. Here we go. Whiskey advocate, whiskey advocate top twenty. Um, you know, in the top five. Two of them are two of them are bourbon. One of them is Tennessee whiskey, and two are single malts. And then you run through it, and there are a mix of major distilleries, sourced bourbons. Uh, there's a craft distillery or two here, um, Scotch, Japanese, you know, a host of things. So this is a great place to start. Uh, I remember the 2021, 2020 uh, version was also fantastic. You know, I had a lot of um, really good places to go. One thing I would maybe hold um, hold against them is that they have Wise Man in the top 20, and I'm not sure it's a top 20 uh, whiskey of 2021. Maybe it's the availability thing. Maybe it's the 
story thing. I don't know, but it's in there. Um, but they're not saying that they're the 20 best whiskeys or they're not saying that, you know, so I think they've got FAE, FAE 01 from 2021 of Maker's Mark as the top bourbon. They're not saying it's the top bourbon. They're saying it's one of the, one of uh, the top whiskeys that is worthy of your attention for the year. And so that's the other thing is that, you know, I've got a list. I've got six whiskeys set on the floor over here that I think are my top six for the year. But there's no way I would tell you which one is one and which one was six because, um, that could change on any given day. I think they're just six that are interesting, that were really great things that, that came out this year. And at least one of them is, um, is, is in this, this whiskey advocate list. And, you know, I would argue that it maybe needs to go higher. Um, but in the thumbnail for this, this particular episode, you'll see three, I think three or four whiskeys. All of them are in the top 20 of 2021 for whiskey advocate. Uh, that's sort of the thumbnail that I made. It's not necessarily that I agree with that. It is what it is. Um, so, you know, for the average consumer, it's a great place to start. It's a great place to, to build a, um, whiskey collection off of, you know, you can, you can, start in a great place. I mean, you're running the gamut from Dickel bourbon to wild turkeys. Masters keep offering, um, all the way, uh, into some super esoteric, uh, scotch type things. I don't know anything about, Hey, um, Hey Jake, thanks for showing up tonight. Um, the next one we have San Francisco San Francisco Works Spirits Competition. Um, if you've been on Instagram for 15 minutes, you'll see SFWSC. I think if is what they go by, and that's a spirits competition specifically. And that's um, the the last few of these that we're going to talk about are going to be spirits competitions and 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 what that means and how those ratings are kind of derived. Um, and when I first got into whiskey, I didn't know what any of these things meant, what the value to, of them was to me as a whiskey consumer. And so that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to, to look at this. So the SFWSC is a competition that distillers or brands enter themselves into. There are, um, deadlines, there's fees associated with it, um, there's, you know, a, a competition date where they, you know, run through tastings and there's ways to be eligible. Um, you know, no producer is limited on the number of entries that they can put in, but they cannot enter um, a product more than once in any given year. Right. And so you would have to kind of find the best of the best for your particular product. Um, <clears throat> you know, they run through judging on a um, merit basis. The judges don't grant an award if an entry is not worthy of the award. Um, and that's something to sort of keep in mind. You know, they've got their rankings. They've got a point scoring system, but then they also come out with gold, double gold, platinum. All these things that I don't know if the, the, the medals mean as much as maybe the potential scores or the best of class or best of show, those type of things. Those types of awards maybe mean a little more than um, uh, a double gold because a double gold, uh, a number of people could have that. Um, the the way they're judged is each entry. There's a director of judging. The director of judging tries to put together uh, a peer group of similar spirits and then tosses them in front of the tasters to to sort of taste through. And so you're not having maybe um, uh, an uh, 
maybe a, an American single malt that is not smoked uh, up against Whiskey Del Bach. Because Whiskey Del Bach is good, and um, Westward Pinot Noir is good, but should they be in the same testing uh, testing group? Probably not, because if you're trying to taste something like Whiskey Del Bach and you put something else right behind it, um, it's just going to be drowned out. You know? And so the, the, there is some management that goes into play for that particular judging competition. And then out of that, they will um, have fun editing tonight. I know how that goes. I've, I've tried to get to the point where I just don't care as much or maybe don't make as many mistakes. You know, maybe that's why, um, why you are where you are and where I am where I am. I appreciate you being here tonight. Um, they come out with a series of awards like best and best of class, best in show, distillery of the year, import of the year, dressed a whole host of things. But all of the tastings are done blind. Um, judges evaluate each product on an individual basis, not compared to other entries in the flight. And so you're not trying to compare it against the people that are in it, but you are trying to keep it fair in the group that it's tasting in are going to be similar peers to it. Um, they try to determine if the entries are worthy of a gold, silver, or bronze. Um, entries that receive, say, a gold medal from all the judges in the panel get a double gold award. Um, the the final day of competition, and this is where things start getting a little bit um, a little bit different here, is they take all of the double gold uh, spirits and they put them in a what's called a sweepstakes round. And so all of the judges will determine best of class, best in show, you know, th those types of things based off of the, the the ratings that they've derived through the initial round of, of, of tasting. They've said, hey, you know, these were all the double golds. Now let's start looking at who's the best of class, who's the best of this, who's the best of that. Um, and so there's not a, a point number affiliated with it. There's just the the gold, silver, bronze, double gold type stuff for the um, San Francisco wine comp. San Francisco, sorry, let me go back and read this again because if I don't, I'll get it wrong. San Francisco Works Spirits Competition. Um, you know, and these these entry fees are pretty hefty, right? So it's five hundred and fifty dollars for each whiskey that you want put in there. Um, the distillery has to decide, do I send one or do I send many of these? And what is the commercial lift if I'm able to put a hang tag on my bottle that says it is gold or double gold or silver, silver or bronze? You know, obviously you're not going to publish if you put it in and you didn't get anything for it. Um, but for a small distiller, does that $500... Uh, is that well spent? You know, is it going to increase their sales, their overhead? Is it going to do anything benefit, beneficial for them? Um, you know, largely that's what a lot of these awards are about is trying to create market differentiation, prove that you are worthy of something and make you stand out on the shelf. Um, but then you end up with five or 10 or 12 different rating systems that are there. And as a consumer, you don't know which one to go with. So the next one uh, that I've seen pretty pretty uh, prolifically is the IWSC, which is the International Wine and Spirit Competition. Um, they they do things. I don't know if it's necessarily a um, significant difference in how they judge and score, um, but they're they spend a good deal of time on the labels. 
closely checking to make sure that they have good categorization of what it is that they're looking at. Um, you know, they're blind tasting as well. And obviously I think all of these are done blind. So that way, um, you don't have any unseen bias that comes into play. Um, and that's one of those things that, you know, we, the, the whiskey nerds, we, we get off on saying, Oh, we don't care about what the bottle is. We only want to know about what's in the juice. But at the end of the day, um, we're also scared of doing blinds because a blind might prove the one that we said we hate because they have a terrible story or whatever. Um, because the grandpappy's recipe and the yeast was found on the moon or something. Um, they end up finding out they really, really like that whiskey and they don't like the story that goes along with it. And so blinds are scary, but that's why these are all done blind. So you don't have that preconceived bias that goes in through there. The judging panels are mixed up. It's, you know, people from different sectors of the business and they come from 30 or 40 different countries. So you're getting different palate profiles. Um, if you get a lot of tasters from the United States, you're going to be looking at people that like Tennessee whiskey or bourbon, maybe even, you know, uh, United States based rye flavor profiles and to some lesser degree American single malts. But if you go into, you know, Scotland or into Japan or India, you're going to find people that are. Uh, leaning more towards scotch profiles. And unless you start creating a good random sampling of people across the world, you don't get a, a more um, objective view of what these what these should score at. So the, they, they put their, ex, their experts through assessing about 65 samples through the course of a day. Um, and I can tell you, you know, the most I've ever done is somewhere between 6 and 10 samples um, that I could reasonably have a discussion about in a given day. Um, but spreading out 65 samples, like there's, that's a ton, you know, that they're, they're, they're going through quite a bit. And so, um, you know, you almost have to, uh, I, I can only imagine they're doing some high degree of training to get to the point where they're ready to do this. Um, anything that's been being given a gold award is going to be retested by a member of an independent spirits judging committee to give a final seal of approval to make sure that maybe it's not palate fatigue that said that this was better. It's not some other reason why it's elevated up. There's a second round of testing. And so that's something that I think it is, it is interesting that sort of differentiates this one is, is it's the IWSC says, Hey, you said this is a gold, a different group is now going to test this. Whereas with the one right before this, they said everybody that was double gold, they put in a sweepstakes and go into the best of uh, best of type uh, arrangements. Um, they have a have a, a scoring ranking system. Um, they you know a gold outstanding is a ninety eight to a one hundred point score. And so they you know they have a scoring sheet each whiskey you know doing sixty five of these a day. Uh, each whiskey is given a score. Um, 98 to 100 is gold outstanding. 95 to 100 is gold. And so you've got this this area where from 95 to 98 is is just plain gold, and there's gold outstanding, which means that this was this is sort of an example that sets itself apart from the category in a good way. Uh, whereas a gold um, is one that stands out from a lot of its peers. Silver is 90 to 94. Um, bronze is 85 to 90, so 85 to 89, rather, sorry. So from 85 to 100 are the only ones that are medaled values. And so now, uh, whereas with the, the San Francisco competition, there's a number that goes along with these and that they've graded them into. They haven't just said, hey, everybody gets 
a, a, a silver, bronze, gold, whatever, you know, something that goes on here. Exact same situation though. Each uh, spirit has a fee that comes along with it. They fill it out, a you know, um, uh, an entry thing. They they send it in. They put in the samples. They only send in once, um, and then everything gets rated, you know, through a series of ta tastings or whatever. Um, there's also some design awards, uh, which is super interesting, you know. But for the 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 rest of the the whiskey world. Um, we're trying to figure out, is this good? Is what's in the bottle good? Not necessarily is what someone um, designed to draw my attention. Was it effective? Because those may be two different things. Um, and then the, uh, doo -doo -doo, I want to make sure that is the last one. Yeah, so the last one that I have that I've seen pretty regularly is the USA Spirits Ratings. Um, they're looking... Uh, to help promote spirits that have been created to target a specific spirit type of drinker. Um, they're, they're looking for quality, value for money, and then what it looks like. So there's a series of things that kind of go into play um, that, that make this uh, a little bit different is where the rest of the rest of the brand rest of the competitions may not have been taking into account what they look like this one is a part of the judging for it and so maybe that uh, is more interesting or less interesting to you as a consumer um, but you're looking at um, does it stand out on a shelf so maybe this rating is more beneficial to the the liquor store or to the bar that is saying hey it's a good quality so it's not too expensive I'm sorry, it's a good quality, so it's a great spirit. It's The the value for the money is there, so it, you can get a ROI on it, and then it looks great, and so it's going to draw attention to it. It's got a unique design. I'm, you know, I was thinking about this. There's three bottles specifically that I can think of that in 2021 had design changes that made them significantly more marketable to the average consumer. Um, Wild Turkey's bottle redesign, the bottle redesign for um, Westward, and the bottle redesign for Broken Barrel Spirits. All three of those are going to just pop on a shelf, and they're going to draw somebody's attention, and they're going to look uh, look like a million bucks, even if they don't taste like a million bucks. But I, luckily, I think all of those uh, label brands um, are putting out good spirits to go with the the good design. But this particular ranking is 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 driving towards that, and so maybe this one is less towards a consumer, more towards a commercial entity, someone who's going to resell, someone who's going to do something else. But maybe that's a thing that you want to keep your eye out for, is that if you see these rankings that pop up for this USA Spirits competition, um, there's some things that go into play here that are good for you, but may not great for you. You know, the, the quality and the value for the money are two things that are interesting to you as a consumer, but the what they look like may or may not be. So, they... Um, create a scoring system. Uh, there's a quality score of 100, a value score of 100, a package score of 100. So there's 300-point scores, and you have to rank highly in all of those to be able to, to come out with a... Uh, a good analysis for this particular thing. Um, these, they, they are being assessed by top level spirits buyers, um, commercial direct buying responsibility folks, 
um, retail chains, wholesalers, distributors, trade groups. So you notice the people that they're drawing from aren't the same types of experts that you've seen or that we've talked about in other um, spirits-based uh, competitions. This one is definitely not targeted for you as an individual consumer, but maybe it should be. Maybe it's something that you can derive some value from. So the... Um, can't believe I just forget about drinking Eagle Rare on a regular basis. That's a problem with having too many different bottles is that you don't go back to the ones that you know that you absolutely love. Um, so back to the, sorry, I got squirrel, got distracted for a minute. Um, so they put together the scoring system. It's, um, you know, out of 300. So you could have a 300, which I, I would feel like is, is highly unlikely. Um, and trying to figure out where they land. And that gives a retailer, it gives a restaurant owner, that gives someone some idea of where this ranks against its um, compatriots in the particular marketing segment. And it gives you as a consumer an idea of what they might be pushing because of its ranking. Um, because it has a high USA spirits so that maybe they're, you know, it got a hundred on its packaging score, but the quality score is a 65. And, you know, if, if, the value in the packaging could outweigh the quality. Is that something you're interested in? If you're selling, yes. If you're drinking, maybe not as much. So that's the, that's sort of the last one that I have. You know, I, for me, if I'm making a recommendation to a um, to a friend, to a friend that I know is not into whiskey significantly, and they ask me, you know, hey, what about? a bourbon or what about a Tennessee whiskey or what about a scotch or what about this or what about that, that this whiskey advocate top 20 for me is one that I know that I can go to and it's going to be a pretty fair offering. I could find something in there that is relatively affordable to the group because I'm looking at um, bottles that range from hundreds down to 30 bucks or whatever. And there's some stuff that's in there that they can find interesting or at least have a good story with, you know, um, those things that sort of exist. If I'm looking for a um, ranking for myself, I tend to lean towards the IWSC just because there's a numerical value that backs the gold, silver, uh, bronze, gold outstanding. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a numerical value that goes into play there. Now, I would assume there is some degree of a numerical value that goes in for the San Francisco Work Spirits competition, but I don't know that, and I, and I haven't read that. I don't know anything about it. Um, now, it has a higher bar, barrier to entry, so maybe they're getting better quality because, you know, it's $500 to get into that versus $300 into the um, IWSC. You know, one way or the other, we're getting a ranking out of it for, for myself, and so you can kind of blend those two items together. But if you see gold outstanding or double gold or gold, you can feel fairly confident that whatever you're buying – um, at least according to experts, is valuable. But at the end of the day, I don't think that any of these ratings matter significantly. I think what matters is um, trying as many things as you can, is finding someone who has a palette that does picks or recommendations that you align with. You know, whether it's a social media person, whether it's a guy at the liquor store, um, you know, most of the folks that I talk to at a liquor store, um, there's at least one guy there that's a whiskey guy that works at the store and, and he's going to have some input 
you know, and sometimes they're interested in moving a particular product and sometimes they're interested in giving you legitimate recommendations. Um, but it's about building trust with somebody who's going to share with you something that's valuable. But if you're, you know, walking into a store completely blind, these are good places to start, good places to find um, something that you can walk home with and feel comfortable that you did not buy, you know, uh, uh, something that looks really great but tastes really awful, you know, at the end of the day. And I don't know what that is. I, I don't know that I've had too many whiskeys that are just flat out terrible. Um, you know, uh, maybe that's a problem with my palate where, it's like uh, even bad pizza is still sort of good, you know, that, that kind of thing. So that's about what I've got for tonight, I think. Um, we'll be back again next week. I've got some ideas. I've, I've been running out what I was doing. I think I've got at least uh, half a dozen or more episodes to come. Um, still on this vein of I've talked about a bunch of brands and most of the brands that I've talked about I have bottles of so if you're interested in joining me for an episode to taste through the whiskey on a live that I talked about please reach out to me you know there uh, at the beginning and the end of every episode I give you ways to get in touch with me reach out to me you, we can come on we can have a conversation you can drink through some things I did a live last week with Cole and Robbie and that was fun these don't necessarily have to be blind it can be an opportunity to taste through some of the smoke wagons that we talked about with the um, with that particular episode that, that where I talked about the smoke wagon brand or um, any one of them you know any one of them that are on my uh, catalog of episodes that I've done. If you're interested in doing that, reach out to me. Now, you know, I, I, I'm all about sharing and having that conversation, wanting to do those things. And I, you want to come join me, come join me. It's the only thing I ask. And if you're not interested in doing a YouTube live, but you can do, um, you're fine with your voice being recorded and just never being put on YouTube. That's fine too. We'll just do an audio only podcast. That's, you know, sort of where I started and I'm still maintaining that and we'll maintain that because, doesn't cost me anything extra to put out a free podcast that way. Um, so that that's all I've got for tonight. Uh, thanks for joining me tonight or today or whenever you happen to catch this. I hope you found this episode to be entertaining. And if you did, please leave a review somewhere on a platform or leave a con comment if you're on YouTube, obviously. Um, hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod. Um, and give me a follow if you can keep up with what's going on here. Um, I can be found at embellishpod.com. It's all my links, accounts, details, email, whatever. Uh, it's a good place to get a hold of me. Like I said, if you want to be a part of talking about any of these brands, just reach out and we'll, we'll do a thing here. Um, I'll, be, I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. Until then, uh, cheers and thanks for hanging out.